Yeah, or we can just carry on worshiping. Yeah, wasn't that special? Thank you to the, the musicians. Um, it was really cool. I'm really excited into what I believe God wants me to share with you this morning. Um, I had two other preachers all prepped and ready to go, and it would have been much easier for me to just choose one of those. But God changed his mind. Well, no, 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 God didn't change his mind. God told me to share something else, which is, I believe, um, where we are as a church and as a people, I, I really believe that um, what, what, what Daniel was saying, you know, that, that we, that we can't worship God to his full extent. And, and what I want to share today is what that full extent means. What, what, is, what is next? What is further? And um, just as a matter of introduction, um, I, I want to share what Jesus' life message was all, all about, what he preached the most. If you look through all the red parts of your Bible, if you have a Bible that is read when, when uh, Jesus speaks, if you take all that, what does Jesus actually teach? And, uh, and uh, I want to go there. But first, I'll, I want to give us a handle, and I'm going to share a little bit of my journey with you, especially for the visitors, um, because unless there's a handle, we don't really know how to grasp onto it. And so, and so when I was young, or younger, I'm still young, don't laugh. I dye my hair like this, you know. When I was younger, um, I'd been brought up in a Christian home, gone to the army where things went horribly wrong, and realized I had no foundation. My Christian faith was paper thin. And uh, came out really searching for God, saying, there must be more. And when, when, when I married my wife, Kenya, uh, I had a great job earned well. Kenya had a great job. We lived in Cape Town. I'd, I'd bought my first house. I was 25. Um, but I was so frustrated. You know, from the world's eyes, we had, we had, we had it all made. Uh, we had the job. We had the car. We had, the, we had everything. And, um, but deep down, both of us, were just, we just weren't content. We were going to church. We had great church friends. Um, we were part of this young adults group. And uh, I just, I just, and I remember saying to myself often, there must be more to this Christian life than this. There has to be. Because I'm just going to church on a Sunday and I'm meeting up with my Christian friends and that's it. And I felt this holy discontent. And so anyway, we did something radical. I'm not preaching that we should all do this, but we just sold up everything. We sold the house, we sold everything we owned, and we went off to Bible school so that I could figure out what this thing was that was so unsettling in my spirit. And um, one thing to cut a long story short, we, we ended up being um, on a church plant in the UK where where some incredible things happened. 
And uh, what I discovered was this beautiful pearl that Jesus refers to in the, in the Bible. He says, the kingdom of God is like a pearl. If you find the pearl, you will go and you will sell everything just to buy the field. And, and that is honestly what we found. We, we found this incredible thing called the kingdom of God. And, and Jesus was the door, and he says he is the door, and I'm going ahead of myself now. But the, the message of Jesus and the kingdom of God are incredible. And just in preparing this, um, I, was, I, was, I was just blown away again, and, and God was showing me even more stuff about his kingdom. And so if we look at the Old Testament, um, we see that a lot of the Old Testament points to Jesus, and uh, it's called types and shadows, and, and uh, there's lots of prophecy, prophecy that points to Jesus and his coming kingdom. And uh, in Daniel 7, verse 13 and 14, this is just an example, it says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the cloud of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, and he was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom shall be, his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So here's a prophecy from Daniel that is pointing both to Jesus and the kingdom. So when Jesus actually came and he was saying, I'm the fulfillment of the Old Testament, the Jews interpreted it as he was going to come to start a revolution, a political king that would lead them out of the, the, the dominance of, of of the Roman Empire, um, which is why they went and killed him, because they were highly upset that he didn't do that. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. But the whole time he's preaching, he's talking about this kingdom. If we look then at the New Testament, past the Gospels, we look at all of Paul's Paul's letters, and we look at um, everything. It's pointing back to Jesus and his kingdom. But then if we look at what Jesus does, if we look at the, um, at, at, at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus doesn't point to himself as much. Where does he point? To his Father. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen my Father. But all his language is the kingdom of God. In fact, if you count it, Jesus mentions the kingdom of God 53 times. He mentions salvation twice. So there must be something in this kingdom message that is important. It can't end with Jesus. Jesus is the door to what? And that's what we're going to explore. In Luke 4.43, he says, 
I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. So there he defines his purpose to preach the good news of the kingdom. In um, Mark 1 verse 15, he says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The gospel means they're the good news. So if you want to rephrase that, it says this, God's reign is at hand. God's power is being unleashed. Turn your life around and put your trust in this good news. So what, what, what is kingdom? What, what, what does it mean? And um, there's been a lot said. There's, there's a lot of error in, um, in what people say, what, what, what the kingdom is. Um, but uh, let's go to what it means in terms of the Greek. It says it's, it's Asilia, which is the royal power, kingship, dominion, and rule. Uh, a territory or state, people or a community ruled or reigned over by a king. In other words, a kingdom has to have a king. Without a king, you can't call it a kingdom. So who's the king? It's Jesus. Jesus is, according to the Bible, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is our king. Sorry, can I just get some water? Thank you. So if Jesus is our king, what's the kingdom? Imagine this for a while, just in your own thoughts. Picture if uh, South Africa, if, if South Africa was ruled by theocracy, which is how God rules, theo means God, God if God had to rule South Africa as the king, a, a, a beneficent king, what would South Africa look like? What would the laws be like? Would there be crime? Would there be... What, what, just, just imagine yourself. Okay? What comes to mind? Order. There would be order. Am I right? Things wouldn't go astray. Things would be, would be dealt with. Things would be, be led well. Now, if we have this king, if we have our king, we are part of his kingdom. The day we get saved, we get saved into something. We don't stay in the kingdom of darkness. We get saved into the kingdom of light, which is, the, which is his kingdom. So if God is ruling in your heart and in your mind and in your soul, What's that going to look like? There's going to be order. There's going to be, be discipline. There's going to be financial discipline. There's going to be everything's going to come in order. But yet, we as Christians struggle to walk in that. 
Why? Why? And, and, and that's the big question. Why do we struggle? Um, my family, my wife, my children, I've got three, three kids. I've got one still at home. The uh, others have left. It's quite hard. <laughs> but when we, when we were raising our children, we didn't sit down. We, we, we generally have um, our meetings. We call them cable ties. My surname is Cable. Keeps us together. Nice, huh? You, you like, you like? <laughs> so we have, we have cable ties time. You can ask my son. And we discuss where we're going as a family. Not once did I say, Timothy or Benjamin or, or Hannah, let's take a vote on, what, on where we should go. Wow, what would happen? <laughs> we would be eating sweets all day. We would be playing lots of video games. And we probably wouldn't be going to school. All right? So we don't rule by a democracy. Okay? God has given me that delegated authority to lead my family the way that he leads his church. And so I lead it the way God would lead his church. I lead my family in the, in the same way. And I come to my wife and I say, this is where I feel God is leading us. So when we had to move from um, England back to South Africa, we sat them down and we said, this is what we believe God is saying to us as a family. My daughter, as she was older, was not happy because her friends, girls are very into their friends a lot more than guys. The guys were like, are they going to be quad bike? <laughs> True story. And we said, yes. No, no, for sure, we're going. Um, but we, we, we rule like God rules. And when we rule like God rules, there's order. Peter explains the kingdom like this. And it's a passage of scripture um, that needs a lot more time than I'm going to give it or afford it. But in your own time, it will be good for you to go through this scripture. In 2 Peter 1 uh, from 3, he says this. says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and to godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Here's the important part. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. You see, there's, there's a progression. As you apply these principles, as you apply these things, and as you're actually walking towards it, 
It says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing. I love that. We don't just arrive there one day. We don't say a salvation prayer and suddenly it's just like as if by magic. It doesn't work like that. For if these qualities of yours and are increasing, in other words, it's something that we're striving for. It's something that we're pushing hard towards. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. If you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'll come back to that now. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that putting off my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that my departure you may be able to, at any time to recall these things. In other words, Peter's saying, look, I know I'm about to die soon. But you've got to know this stuff so well that at any time you can recall it. It's, it's, it's part of our faith. In other words, salvation isn't a once-off event. And, and this is the main part I'm trying to get to. Salvation isn't just a prayer. It starts off as a prayer. That's step one. What about step two, step three, step four, step five? It says continually practicing these things. I'm sure that Peter could have added even more things to this list. They aren't, it, it's not, um, uh, what's the word? Exhaustive. Is that the right word? There are more things. In fact, the New Testament is full of things that we need to be practicing. What about love in Corinthians? Love is patient, kind, you know, all, all those things. But I'll read uh, 2 Peter 1 verse 11 again. It says, For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, when we are saved, we are saved into his kingdom of God. But often people get saved and they stay in the door. And they can't work out why there's no healing in their life. They can't work out why they, they, they can't break through in certain areas or they can't. I want to tell you the good news that Jesus taught is more. Is more than just more than just saying 
your prayers. There's living in this kingdom. And that has a dramatic, everlasting, eternal change. You see, that scripture also says that whatever we do now is a reward that we're going to stay in heaven, that we're going to keep in heaven. In other words, once we become saved, so you know that everything before we became saved is dead works. It's all going to be burnt up. We become saved, and everything after there is considered pure gold if you are obedient to Jesus Christ. And so I love the phrase that Chad has been using and says, we live for eternity. Whatever we do now has an eternal consequence. There's so much that happens in our lives now that, you know, Jesus says, why, why, are, you, why are you chasing after riches on earth? Why is that your main goal? Don't you know that you can be chasing after riches that will last an eternity? I, um, while we were living in England, I was also contracting as an electrical engineer. And uh, I was between contracts, literally the, my first week of this new contract. And uh, the owner of this company that I was subcontracting to was friends with the owner of the McLaren F1 formula team. And uh, I, was, I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And he says, and he gets a phone call, and it's the, it's the McLaren guy. And he puts the phone call down, and he says, John, do you want to work with McLaren? Now, I've been a Formula One fan since I was small. I used to watch Formula One with my grandfather when I was still at school. So I've, I've traveled a journey with Formula One, all right? McLaren was the world champion at that stage. That, that, and Lewis Hamilton had just won the championship, and this was the beginning of the year. I think this was probably 2010, 2011, actually, the beginning of 2011. And he says, you'll uh, be a full part of the, of the team. You'll go to all the countries with them, and uh, all you have to do is set up their, um, their uh, electrical stuff. You've just got to test that it's all safe. It's actually an easy job. And I'm like, no. My dream job has just landed me. I came home, asked Kenya. I came home and said, Kenya, you don't, you, you don't understand what kind of job I've just been offered. But immediately I knew in my heart that the answer was no. Because it didn't fit in with my kingdom purpose. It would have been, man, you know those stories I could have told you right now? Eh? I would have been part of the F1 McLaren team just traveling around the world. I mean, what, what dream is that? I was offered it there on a plate. I was at the right time at the right place. And I said no. Why? Because it didn't fit in with where I knew God had called me. It just didn't line up. How could I leave everything that God had showed me? And it just, it isn't in my notes now, but you know, it says that once you've tasted the kingdom of God, you will never want to go away from it. Once you've tasted it, you 
are ruined for life. I am. I'm ruined. Because nothing else would satisfy me. Because I knew I'd be out of God's will and I would be miserable. Like I was in Cape Town, had the job, had the house, but I was miserable. Because I didn't understand God's kingdom. Do you know that there are different, there are different gospels? In other words, not everyone teaches a kingdom gospel. And uh, Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 4. It says, If someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you have received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. In other words, in other words, there are different gospels. Now, the word gospel is still the good news. But the picture I've got when I read this scripture is almost like a seesaw. You know, if, if, if uh, I put my young child on the other end of the seesaw and I'm on this end, which way am I going? <laughs> Down, why? Well, I'm clearly heavier. I'm bigger. Um, although not anymore. My, my sons are getting bigger. But it's what we place the emphasis on. In other words, it's not wrong, but it's not complete. In other words, we're putting too much emphasis on one side of the scale or one side of the seesaw. And uh, I, want to, I, I want to highlight one of these, and I'm calling it the self-centered gospel. In other words, you've got the New Testament pointing at Jesus and the gospel, but the Old Testament pointing at Jesus oh, and the gospel and the kingdom. got the Old Testament pointing at Jesus and the kingdom. And somehow... In our minds and in church, we believe that Jesus only points back to us. And this comes back to where, uh, where it says in Peter where we are nearsighted and we are blind. Because we're not seeing where Jesus is pointing. We think that Jesus died only because of us. There's truth in that. But it's not the complete truth. He died for us that we could live in victory, that we could live in freedom, that we could live in a kingdom that he established when he died on the cross. It is normally preached in a church where you're very comfortable, where you're not challenged. Where comfort is the norm. I want to tell you now, if you get comfortable here, come and tell me. Because I don't want you to be comfortable. I don't want to be comfortable. I want to be challenged every single time. Every single time I meet with Bob, every single time I meet with any one of you, I want to be challenged. I want you to challenge me. And I want to challenge you. Because we're not meant for comfort. 
Comfort is a false sense of a gospel. How do we... Um, Ah, yeah, here's a great verse. Let me, let me read this first. In Romans 5 verse 3, it says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Who's suffering right now? Let's be honest. Raise your hands. Let, let's, let's see. Amen. Amen. I rejoice. Why? Because it's going to produce hope in you that you can share with one day. Don't ever believe that because God has you in a space that it isn't his, his will. No. He wants you there because he wants more of you. Does that make sense? Rejoice in your suffering. Rejoice in the hardships. Fernando, rejoice that it's difficult to buy a house in George. <laughs> Rejoice in it. Why? God, what are you teaching me? How am I meant to repent for the things, for what you're showing me? Show me things so I can repent, so I can adjust, so that, that you understand. It's going to make you stronger. You see, a self-centered gospel concentrates on the line of salvation. And I tell you what, I've studied theology and I've studied that and, you know, you get your Armenians and you get your Calvinists and you get... And I, I, I don't want to undermine what they say. But I don't want to concentrate on the line of salvation. I want to run into his kingdom. That's far more important. There are far more important questions to be answered as to how can I grab the kingdom of God than... How close to the line can I live? Because I don't want to live close to the line. I'm petrified of that line. I want to live in the kingdom. I want to run away so far away from that line of salvation so that I can inspire others to come in with me. But if I'm living on the line, people are just going to see a hypocrite. Because trust me, the fruit isn't going to be there. We, um, we bought a house in England, and buying a house was fine because, you know, you can sell a house, you can rent it out. But I struggled to buy a sofa, to buy a lounge suite because we were so prepared to move wherever God wanted us. We were prepared to travel light. And I thought to myself, if I buy a sofa now, how am I going to? Transport this thing to wherever God wants me to go. I remember having this conversation with Kanya going, sure, do we really need a sofa? <laughs> I can't sell it. It's not easy. But that was the mindset I, I had, and I still want. I want to live simply so that others can simply live. I don't want to get wrapped up in the material wealth of this world. And it's not so bad here. In England, whoa, the material, the, the, the mamma, the spirit of mamma that's a, on that country is unreal. Shopping is a hobby. Here it's a necessity. It's sometimes a hobby, but 
you know, you, you, this self-centered gospel is preached where, you're, where we are sensitive to your needs. So you'd have an interest group as your community group. You know, I love it that our community groups have all ages. You've got youth there. You've got young parents there. You've got older parents there. You've got granny, grandpa there. In one, com one community, that shows the character of God. If you cannot get along with someone that doesn't have the same interest as you, there's a problem. All right? Now, I'm a runner. I don't go to a community group where we're all just runners. Because guess what? Running is going to be glorified and not Jesus. I don't believe. It's, we have to build church that is uncomfortable. That is going to be like iron sharpening iron. That's how we grow. That's how we move forward. In where this gospel is preached, there's very little growth into maturity. In other words, a lot of the people just never grow up. I was sad to learn of something that happened just last year or the year before in a church uh, that I know of. And during the service, or during the, the preach even, I think, three of the members, they stand up and they start to criticize the pastor. Now, these men are senior of age. And when I heard that story, I was gut-wrenched. Because how can, how can these people that have been Christians for so long still be so immature that they have no idea how church governance works, how the kingdom of God works within a church context? So there's little um, maturity. In other words, people are easily offended. Where there's immaturity, there's offense. And, um, you know, I've had my fair share of opportunity to be very offended at church, at God. Things didn't go the way that I expected. But you know what? It's not about me. It's about his kingdom. And if you read the scriptures right, it says, we are dead in any case. So what right do we have? Well, nothing. We only have the right to worship the King of Kings. We only have the right to press into his kingdom. We only have the right to take the kingdom wherever we go. We only have the right to be an, an ambassador of the king. In other words, wherever we go, we only carry the king's message. That's all we carry. Nothing of our own. And, and that's what the Bible teaches us. That's the right. But yet, we come into church and we gripe about that. We moan about this. There were spelling mistakes on the, um, on the song sheet. So let's moan about that because we won't come again. Because if they can't spell, I mean, really... You laugh, but it's true. 
somewhere along the line, we've been given a gospel where it's all about us. It's not about us. It's about the king. And we're dying to live for the king. You know, just recently, just recently, I've decided to not use the word Jesus loves us unconditionally. Unconditional is not in the Bible. That word is, is made up by us. And there's more and more, and the more I'm, I'm realizing this, and the more I, 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 I've looked into this, the more I realize that unconditional, the word unconditional, is slightly wrong. It's, it's, man, I've preached that hundreds of times, that God love is unconditional. I'd rather use the word Christ loves you with a godly love. Because you see, we can read in um, John 15 verse 8, it says this, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to me my disciples. So in other words, to be a disciple, you need fruit. As, for the, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. That abide means remain. If you keep my commandments, you will abide, remain, in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So you've got to ask the question, so if I don't keep the commandments, I don't remain in, in God's love. Now, I don't want to build a theology around this, but I've just realized that that word is just not complete. Because if I believe in the, the legal sense of that word, unconditional, I'm going to think, well, now I can do whatever I want. God loves me no matter if I sin. I can sleep around. I can, I can drink. I can swear. I can do whatever I want. God loves me the same. Whether I'm good or bad, he loves me the same. It's not true. It's not true. And so, yes, his love is like it's unconditional. I love my children unconditionally. If Timothy went to a party last night, if he had have come back drunk, I would have still loved him the same. But he wouldn't have felt my love the same way. But you understand, so we feel God's love not unconditionally. There are conditions attached. This, uh, the self-centered gospel is about all what I can get. I have once or twice dared to turn on a TV station on DSTV to watch some of these, um, these preachers. And, and both times, I think I've only dared to, to, to watch it twice, I've had to tur turn off Something inside me was so cross and angry and upset because the, the, the majority of what is preached is come to Jesus and get rich. So much in the Bible says the opposite. So much. It's not about us. It is not about us. If you are watching a sermon and you're watching a teaching from, from somewhere else, and the message 
is unbalanced, just switch it off. If you don't put the weight on your surrender, your dying to self, and your repentance, then God's love becomes cheap. And God's love is all about you. And it's not. It's not. It's certainly not. It's about his kingdom. But ultimately, it's about your freedom. Because it's only once we step into his kingdom that we can experience that full salvation and that freedom. Now, sure, Jesus does give you freedom when you become saved. He gives you, you know, he heals when you aren't saved. We, we aren't talking about that. We're talking about that peace. We're talking about that hope that, uh, that Peter was talking about. I'm going to land with this. Revelations 3, verse 14 to 22, it says this. To the angel of the church of Lohodika writes, the words of the Amen, in other words, it's from God, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, I know your works. And the word works there can be deeds, actions, or behavior. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were neither hot nor cold. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For I say, I am rich for us. Sorry, for you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself and the same, and, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And solve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I, re, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, and this is a scripture that is quoted a lot. This isn't a salvation quote. This is to the church. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with me and he, and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So this is God speaking to the church. Church where people believe in Jesus Christ. Church where people have said the repentance prayer. But he's saying that they were after personal wealth. They were after personal gain. They were it says that they were, it says he knew their works, their deeds, their action, or their behavior. And therefore, you are neither hot nor cold. You're just lukewarm. And now I read this with fear and trembling. I really do. It, 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 it's got a reverent fear 
that grips my heart. And God, and I, I pray to God that I, me, never fall into this category where I'm living my life for me and think that I've got all the answers and think that this is for my gain. It's not. It's for his gain. And Jesus is saying, just invite me in. Invite me into your world. Invite me in. Make me Lord. Make me king so that you can be a demonstration of my kingdom. And wherever you go, wherever you are an ambassador for me, that my kingdom follows you. And that's my charge um, for us today. And this, this message has been hard-hitting for me as I was preparing it. And I want to encourage you to be excited for his kingdom. I want you to encourage you to not look down at the, oh, we have to go to another church meeting. Oh, the, uh, the new members course is on Mother's Day. Oh, that's too much of a burden. No. Unfortunately, that is how it's happened. We can't do anything about it. We've, that's, and you know, we had to come to a decision where that is where we as a church stand. We can't apologize for being unashamed of his kingdom. We can't pander to everyone's needs. But we feel that this is where God is taking us and this is where we are going. Just as we sit our family down, we say, this is where we're going. You know, I'm certainly hoped, I certainly hope that, that the visitors weren't impressed with our worship, weren't impressed with our children's ministry. Because certainly that is not what we're trying to impress you with. We're trying to impress you with our passion for his king and for the king and his kingdom. Because that is why we're here. We're not here to, to entertain your children. We're not here to entertain you. We're here to worship Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, with everything we've got, even till it hurts, even till it costs, and it's going to cost us our lives. But that is why we're here. I believe that my message has perhaps spoken to a few of you. If I can get the worship guys up, or the team guys, the, the musicians, we all worshipers. It's another word I'm trying to tra train out of my mind. They're not worshippers. They are, but we all are. I believe that God maybe has spoken to you somewhere along the line in terms of my message. And I know that because God's told me that. And this, um, and what Jesus is saying is, I'm standing at the door. I'm knocking. If you've had a crisis of faith, if you're not sure whether God is even real anymore, then today we do business with God. Because there's a kingdom out there that is beautiful. It's wonderful. And it's a 
pearl of great price, of great prize, I mean. And uh, Jesus says that you're going to sell everything that you got if you find it. He says, once you find this great prize, that you will never go back. Never. You will never be satisfied again until, you know, we, we had the opportunity to, um, to not be in a church where this was the message. Because we, we got way too comfortable. And uh, God spoke to us very clearly one day. And I said to, to Kanya, I said, I said, it's time to get out of our comfort. We had become comfortable again. This is after we'd moved back to South Africa. And I said, I'm just feeling like we need to give more. We need to make it count. Just because I've been there and I've, I've done that means nothing. I've got to be in a permanent place of sacrifice. I've got to be in a permanent place to build God's kingdom. So if this message is for you, can I pray with you? Can I lead us in prayer? And then afterwards, if anyone does need prayer, and Bob, you're welcome to, uh, in, to uh, interject here. We'd love to pray with you as well. Because I believe that, you know, we're praying for the lost. But there's some people that are lost in church. And that's what I'm hoping for you to be saved. Saved into a kingdom. And we're all in it together. We're all here to encourage one another. We're all here to cheer each other on. And that's why we have this beautiful thing called the church. Because we can't do this by ourselves. We seriously can't. So Father, I want to thank you for your word. It says that your word should, should pierce truth and pierce our souls and our hearts. And so, Father, we, we realize that we are nothing. We are nothing without you. And, Father, we thank you like, like the leopards, leopards, like the lepers, Lord, we don't want to be the nine that turned away and seem ungrateful. Lord, we want to thank you for what you have already done in our lives. But Father, we want to, we want to be close to you. We, want you. we want to follow you. We don't want to walk away like the nine. We, we want to be that one who then pursues you. Thank you, Father, that words cannot describe or explain the emotions and the and, the, and the, 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 what's inside of us to, to uh, worship you. But uh, thank you, Father, that, that we can press into you and your kingdom, where you are Lord again. And we are your servants. We are here to serve in your army. We're here to serve in your kingdom we submit and we bow our knee to say that is not about us and I say that in the spirit here this morning it's not about us it is not about us
and I break that in the name of Jesus Christ. But it is about Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And Father, I pray that you teach us to look where you're pointing, to look at your kingdom in a whole new way. Father, to look, to see where you are taking us. Because, Father, we know that we're called to more than just the mundane of life. We are called to live in a vibrant and dynamic kingdom of God. Wherever we go, our joy and our enthusiasm and our, our love for you is just so overflowing that people are drawn to it. And we can be a true representation of who you are. So, Father, I repent for every time that I've made being a Christian about me. I come to you with a shopping list. I repent. I know you want to read my shopping list, but it's not about that. It's, Father, we worship you. We come to you with our arms wide open, not with our hands towards you to see what we can get but our arms wide open to embrace you, to hug you, to welcome you in so that you can eat with us. That you can be with us. And we can be in your presence. Amen. If we can sing a song, Trevor. And then if, if you want prayer, if you say, listen, yeah, I want to know more about God's kingdom. I need you to come to the front. If you don't know the king yet, you need to come to the front. We've all been there. Who's, who's been to the front of a church before at salvation? A few of you. We should have all been there. So we've all been here. If you don't know the king, we need to pray for you. If you don't know his kingdom, we need to pray for you. So that God can reveal it to you by his spirit.